There is a fifth decimal beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between first article inspection and part rejection, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the within tolerance zone. This week on Within Tolerance, we will listen to an interview between Dylan and his business partner, Brad. So we are told. Is this really Brad, the business partner? Or is this Brad Southard, the knife maker? Or perhaps Dylan is interviewing himself and answering and his alter ego. It's for you to decide. Well, thanks to Brad Southard for that fantastic intro. And as he said, we've got Brad, my business partner, Dunwell, on the podcast. Yep, it's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Absolutely, anytime. So the people want to know, uh, lots of people ask, but uh, without going into it, you know, where's your background in manufacturing? How did you get into this? How, and then we'll kind of go into the story of how we met and started Proteum. So I guess it all starts. I was, let's see, I was like 23 and I was actually working security and I was actually doing security one day at the local community college. And I, I knew I didn't want to do security, you know, like my whole life or even two months more. So I was looking at their little pamphlet area and they actually had a machine tool technology pamphlet. And I was like, you know, that might be a good idea. That's something I've always been interested in, you know, making things. I've always been pretty um, mechanical and handy my whole life. So I looked into that, started some classes and that's where I met Dylan. Um, So we started from there and then actually almost immediately I got a job, my first machining job, which is actually my current machining job. (laughs) Um, so I started that, and then I've been doing that for nine years now, nine and a half years. So that's where that's where that all started. Not that's, too much uh, variation there, but no, that's, that's what funny it is. though. I, I didn't realize that you were looking at a pamphlet um, at the community college. To, I did, to yeah. Go there. That's yeah. really funny. Yeah, and then we met in. I can't remember which class we had first together. Was it Mastercam? Yeah, I think it was a uh, Tommy's class. Yeah. And so that, that was, we both sat next to each other. We both rode motorcycles, mm-hmm. both interested in cars. Mm-hmm. You had your 240 or 260 running, 260Z, at running at the time. And uh, I had a 300ZX for a short period of time. Yeah. We bonded over. Uh, what happened to that? No? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, well, and then the story from there on how Proteum started I'm I'm still trying to remember, and I've thought about it since then a lot. On like when the initial conversation started, I remember we okay. were at Laguna Seca. Really? Yeah. Okay. We were at Laguna Seca, so you, me, and a couple other guys, and we were just kind of bullshitting, you know. And we saw, I think it was a Robo Drill on Craigslist. Right. So, yeah, so I remember the Robo Drill, but right. I couldn't remember when we started talking about this. Right. And so I was like, man, what if we just got this and started our own company? And it was like it was. I think it was like seven thousand dollars or eight thousand dollars. I think it was even less than that. It was like four grand because it didn't have any parameters. Right, it had no parameters. And I, I was like, that. well, I've done that. I put parameters back in a, a FANUC, So, But, I mean, that was that was the initial thought. And then from there, we got back. You know, we called up on it, and I think it was already sold. Yeah. But but that spark, you know, it was started. Well, we were then, both so disappointed by it being sold that we right. were like, well, shit, I guess there is something here. This yeah, is exactly. There's something more than there, a joke. You know? like, so, and then from there, yeah, we found, um, found the kitty. Which kitty. actually we found the kitty before we did literally anything else. <laughs> I actually paid for the Kitamura before I had a place to put it. Yeah. And so the company that had it, they stored it for, I think, at least a month for us. They weren't too happy about it. Um, but I was struggling to find a, a shop to put it. And eventually I found a shop and I had to go through all the rigmarole, I had to get insurance, all that stuff, start business license, all that. And then, so we could finally get a spot for that. And then, and then it sat for probably a little bit. 
Yeah. Because we had to run wiring, we had to get an air compressor, we had to do all that stuff, get tooling, everything else, get it sorted. Yeah, there was nothing in there but the kitty. No, yeah. I mean, it was it was actually quite dirty in there um, and very poorly lit. Yeah. As we're so, still finding out today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember when I think you were in Japan when I figured out the communication for yes, the first time because I, I sent was. you a picture. Yeah, you sent me a video of you uploading a, I think it was a message. Yeah, it was probably like, an explicit uh-huh, message. I'm the, the master of serial communication. Yeah, yes, that's what it was. Because <laughs> I mean, that thing, it was, it was the, the old RS format and we had no idea how to, how to communicate with a modern machine, USB. Uh, I think we used a converter. Yeah. Well, we went through two different, because we didn't realize it had to be null modem. Right. So we bought the wrong one first, and we bought the right one. And then even then, we were still going through all of the demos of softwares online that we could use. Right. And I think it was, what, Easy DNC that we settled on for a while? We used. And then we switched to that Fanuc one. Right. There was one that we were using a trial mode of, and it worked great. But it only could use it like 10 times. But I actually figured out in the registry key, you could reset the, uh, the amount of trial <laughs> times. So we just kept doing that. You know, like every every four or five uploads, we just reset that and and then start over the top. Um, but eventually we got the a workstation that actually had a serial port on it. So that worked fine. Yeah, that worked a lot better. And we still have that in the office. But right. Not, not really using it. No. So that's kind of the origin story of Proteum. A brief and, background. Yeah. Well, and it came out of like both of us sitting at Laguna. So we both went to Laguna Seca to work the track for, was that still MotoGP or was that World Superbike? World Superbike. Okay. And so you have a lot of downtime between races or a lot of downtime between, you know, laps even. You just got a couple minutes as they go around yeah, the track. Yeah, we, we work on the same corner. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was both just, both of us lamenting about like, the shops we worked in and how oh, I could do better. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this quality. garbage. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that was kind of the, the founding ethos, I guess, of the company mm-hmm. was like better quality, better communication, all of that. Which we've, we've had the quality down. That's for sure. Yeah. The communication pretty good too. I, I think so. <laughs> they, they seem to like us still. Yeah. Most, most part, of us. Most <laughs> so that's the, the backstory of how you got into manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people want to know as much as you can share, what do you do at your day job and like what, what kind of machines do you run or whatever you can share? So when I started there, there was maybe 40 employees. It was actually a very small company at the time and they had four um, sharp uh, 2412 CNC's, some older basic cat 40 slow, but solid as a tank machines. And so I ran those um, and eventually we, decided that, you know, we need a new machine. Let's do, you know, a pallet changer. And I don't know if a ton of research was done, but we ended up with a, a big Doosan 560V. I think that's what it is. Um, big pallet changer. And this thing is just massive, just a humongous machine. And that has a uh, fourth axis on one of the tables. So from there, um, unfortunately we stuck with methods, I think for the most part. So we, we moved on to a feeler, which we still have. Um, and then from there is essentially, we bought five Kiwas, um, two, two of them are pallet pools and then three are just pallet changers, some horizontal Kiwas. They're 300 millimeter ones. Um, yeah. How'd that go? Uh, you know, I am not a fan, not, not even remotely a fan. They are in a constant state of disrepair and malfunction. And (laughs) I don't know if it's a you know, product of the environment they're in. I mean, I, I'll admit, you know, we're not the best at upkeep and maintenance there, but there's there's more to it than that. Um, it just seems like there's hardly a night that goes by that there's not an issue with one of the machines. Yeah, it's um, insane. Well, and the, the failure modes too, like the ZX. Oh, absolutely, know, yeah. Rail cover or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like for sure. Breaking in the middle, like that, that's not things that that's shouldn't not break. No. Right. Yeah, maintenance or not. Um, but that aside, we're actually starting to pick up into the BT30 game. So we actually picked up a robo drill for small parts, um, and then shortly after, we picked up an E plus um, robot cell robo drill, and shortly after that, we got a <laughs> M200, um, which is now part of a flex system uh, attached to an S300, 
And just uh, two weeks ago, we picked up two R450s. So a lot of growth, a lot of expansion. Um, that shop is packed completely full. So it's uh, getting a bit absurd at the moment. Yeah. Well, I remember when you guys expanded, you're like, oh, I'm going to have room. And then that lasted like six months. Right. Yeah. Once the keywords came in, they're, you know, they're not a small footprint. So they do take up a fair amount of space. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, it's cool that you have that much experience though. Like I wish I had that much experience with varying different tapers and machines and all that. Yeah. I guess, you know, my experience is mostly in expansion and growth, not exactly part differences. Cause I mean, for the most part, we've been making the same parts more or less, you know, a couple features since I started there, just much, much higher quantities now. Right. Right. Yeah. But you've got a lot of stainless experience that I don't have. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, we do mostly 303 stainless with, um, I'd say about 25% 316 and unfortunately some 304. Yeah. But like uh, Corey Deegan asked, one of his questions was what unique skills and qualities, and we can circle back to that. But one for sure that like made me very confident going into our partnership was like, oh, I've got a lot of aluminum experience. Right. I'm very no, hesitant no. in stainless. And you were like, I've done zero aluminum. Right. It's all like all the stainless. three series stainless. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, like we between those two, we can cover most orders right and then you're you're blown away with how slow i'm running things and you know <laughs> my, my mouth is on the floor watching these things at 300 inches a minute yeah yeah but my my very limited experience was like blowing cutters up and stainless trying to yeah. figure all speeds and feeds yeah. out so it, it all worked out for sure mm -hmm. uh so we can get into some questions from guests from patreon sure. bennett fort manufacturing had a whole bunch of questions uh, he wanted you to provide proof of human status, which I think you've done. You sound different enough for me that people know. For the most part, yeah. yeah. You, you're at least a different person. I mean, <laughs> Dylan, he's, he's a very apt guy, but he can't do all of this by himself. So <laughs> I guess, you know, I am here. Yes. I, I for sure could not run the company by myself. We're both part-time, full-time employees, and yeah. it, it takes both of us. The, the, the thing that's really made... I think us work so well is that we have different schedules, like you working nights and me working days. Right. And so we can kind of pick up where the other left off. And if we've got a long run of parts, we can keep that going all, all day and, and provide somewhat of a semblance of a real company. Right. And then, I mean, as of now, we both work 410. So we have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And that's, that's a huge thing for us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've already gotten to your background and how you know me. We didn't know each other before Pima too. So no, it was, it's yeah. only been six years, seven, seven years, something like that. Yeah. Um, what part of the businesses are, what part of the business is your favorite? Um, probably just like seeing all the, the parts that come in and seeing where they go or, you know, trying to figure out where they go. I think it's always kind of fun. You get a drawing or a model and you know the company and what they're doing, but you don't know exactly what the parts for. So I think it's kind of fun to, uh, to kind of piece it together and see what it's for or, or what it's going to do and how it's going to affect people. And it's kind of interesting too, because you get, um, we've done work for competing companies yeah, and, and they have, you know, similar parts, but they're different. So it's, it's like, oh, I recognize this from another company and what it does. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what this does now. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting seeing how different companies attack the same problems in very different yeah. ways. And then they end up merging later on anyway. So, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, he says, what parts do you make Dylan do? Uh, I, all of them. <laughs> all of them. I, I guess that would be kind of concurrent with what parts don't you like about the business? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, I mean, I guess, you know, like the hours, you know, working every weekend, working mornings for me. Um, so like, like Dylan said, I work nights at my, my regular job. So I got to be there sometimes early morning if we have deliveries or something coming in. So it's, it's kind of hard to get up early mornings and that's probably the toughest thing for me. I am a morning person natively, but you know, it's, it's tough sometimes. Well, like an all day, like I, I never, when we first started the company, I never understood that. I was always like, right. well, it shouldn't be a problem. You've got all this time before work. And then I worked briefly at a shop where I was working night shift. Then it wasn't even as, as late as yours because I was working five eights. Right. And I was like, oh man, I empathize so hard with it's, Brad now. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a different thing, man. It's. I mean, not being, you know, a night person, it's, it's not my favorite thing, but I've been doing it for like six years now. So it's just what it is. Yeah. Uh, why is Dylan going full-time before you? And I think we've had a few people ask that. Possibly. So honestly, the biggest thing is 
I am more happy where I work. <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest thing, um, I actually have incredibly good benefits where I work <laughs> um, to the point where it actually pisses Dylan off. The, I think it pisses uh, any logical human adult that hears your benefits. Yeah, let's not go into that. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, yeah, he, he is definitely more willing to take that that step first. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely willing to jump in as well. So once, once he goes full time and things kind of calm down, we get an idea of, you know, our workload and the work coming in and then our payload, all that stuff, we can, we can go figure out what I can do and when I can come in full time. Oh yeah. We're going to do that ASAP. That is now the next goal right. for Proteum right. to bring you on full time. Uh, how happy are you to have sold the Kitamura? Well, honestly, I'm pretty happy. Um, I, I did think that I would be sad to see it go. You know, I, I, I'm not a hoarder, but you know, I do like to hold on to my stuff. So <laughs> I do get, you know, an emotional attachment to some things, but it's just been sitting there and it's a good machine and it's just a waste. Uh, I mean, for productions, for somebody else to use it and for us taking up a ton of space. Um, so I was, I was really happy to see it go. Honestly, it's, it's another chapter closed, but you know, it was a good one. So. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the same way. Like I, in the beginning, I think if I had it sold immediately, like, you know, a year ago, I would have maybe been sad, but like knowing for a year that it was going to be gone eventually. Right. It was like, I had said my goodbyes. I was just ready for the space to be back. Also, it was, you know, if it was for sale for a year, it's not like someone came in and got a smoking deal on it either. So I guess, you know, we got what we wanted essentially for it. So I'm pretty happy with the price too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it all worked out pretty well. So we, we sold it for what we paid for it. Yeah. Which, which, which works out fine. So, yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because we, we got it for a steal. Like, I think that I I don't know if I've glossed over that in past episodes, but the place we bought it from had had a sale fall through weeks or a month before we looked at it. And so they were, they pretty much had machines already coming to fill the place. And we just stole it from them pretty much. And they were a, uh, a Haas company. They, the, all they had were Haas. And they had many, many, many Haases. But that's all they had. So, you know, a different machine with a different control that they didn't know how to run. So they just wanted it gone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm not sure if I've told the story that we found out years later about it either of the maintenance man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell okay. that story. So I was talking to somebody who worked at this company years after we bought it, I don't know, two or three years. And they were like, oh, you bought the kit of I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, do you know about the guy who got stuck in it? I was like, what are you talking about? Okay. Back this up. He goes, yeah, yeah. We, have, we had a small... Asian maintenance guy who would go in and clean the machines at night. And like, thank God he was a, a tiny guy because there's not that much room in, inside that no. machine. But when we got the machine, we we're like, Oh, all the door interlocks on the, the side of the doors were disabled. And we we're like, well, you know, whatever I've, I've seen people do that, that happens fairly often. Yeah. yeah. And then this guy proceeds to tell me that he had gone inside to clean the inside of the machine and got locked in inside the machining envelope at night. And there was only one or two other people in the entire plant. And it was not for hours. They heard him screaming to come let him out. And so we were, <laughs> it, it was really interesting to hear perspective of our machine from another person who had seen it and heard all of this and actually worked there. But, yeah. It almost could have been haunted if he died there. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ben's next question was automation. What steps have you taken and are you going to be taking, are you going to be taking towards this. So, so what have we taken and what are we taking in the future? At Proteum, zero yeah. at the moment. Uh, where I work, like I said, we have that E plus on the robo drill and then we have the flex system. And those are the kind of steps that we're taking there. Um, I haven't really been involved with either of those, um, but I'm aware of them and, and how they operate. But um, yeah, Proteum, essentially nothing at the moment. Um, you know, maybe a, a UR arm down the road, possibly. Like we don't do much, if at all, any production. So for us, it's not really a big thing. Um, it's just, it'd be too much programming of a, of an arm or something for any benefit at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in a high mix, low volume kind of setting, and that's like a super big area that people are focusing on automating right now, but there's not any really good go-to plug and play option for automating that kind of high mix, low volume workflow. Right. So, uh, let's see. David Ron asked in light of Ben's colossal amount of questions, mm. what are your favorite flavor? What's your favorite flavor of gushers of gushers? 
Uh, honestly, I don't know if I've had Gushers in probably over 20 years. <laughs> uh, do they have a watermelon flavor? Because that's probably fine. Or maybe a cherry. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Do they even make Gushers still? I don't know. I assume so, but I, I felt the same way when I read his question. I was like, man, I don't remember the last time I had a Gusher. Uh, well, David, I might have to go to the store and get some Gushers, and maybe we'll have an update <laughs> on that. Maybe I'll get some for the shop, and yeah. then Dylan will just plow through them all. Yeah, just don't get Sour Patch Kids. As a side note, <laughs> Dylan loves Sour Patch Kids. I will never buy them for myself, though. No. I, like, I don't I, love them to the point where I'm like, I want them, but you buy them and put on them occasion, on the desk. I will buy them, leave them at the shop, and I come in the next day, and it is three-quarters empty. Yeah, my, so. my willpower kind of fades as I get past midnight or so. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right. From Instagram, Corey Deegan asks, do you listen to the podcast? Honestly, no, I don't. I know that, you know, it's probably going to accept a lot of people, um, but I don't. You I, have, though. I have. Yeah. You know, maybe the first 20 or so I've listened to. Um, and it's, I enjoy it. I just don't have the time to do it. So where I work, which is generally the time that I would be listening to the podcast, is it's not ideal for listening to podcasts. There's... I'm a supervisor there, so I have a lot of questions to answer, a lot of things to fix, keywords. Um, and so for that reason, I, you know, I'd be constantly starting and stopping a podcast. Um, if I'm on a, a road trip or something, I, I definitely listen to the podcast. And that's probably why I've listened to the, the 20 or so. Um, also, you know, half of it is I've kind of lived half of it. So I am part of the Proteum part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I usually tell you anything Right. Cool or interesting. Yeah, or... yeah, for sure. You do. You always give me a little synopsis of, of most of what's going on. Yeah. And then his other question, which you kind of touched on, was what are your and I unique skills and qualities that help complement each other to run a successful business? I mean, I have no skills. Yeah. Okay. That's why I, I, Yeah. That's why we agreed to go into business together. No, I mean, my, <laughs> my biggest skill is I do sketchy stuff. You do sketchy stuff? Well, and I, I think that, like, especially monetarily, and especially more in the beginning, oh, you were always yeah, the conservative side of it. I still am to a degree. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think that it's always nice to have somebody who's got their head in the clouds and maybe doesn't think through things fully and somebody who is grounded in reality and can be that sounding board for crazy yeah. ideas. Yeah, that's fair. You know, that's actually, actually pretty, pretty accurate. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's for me, that's like been the best thing. Like we both are competent machinists. We both have good, strong work ethics. Mm -hmm. I think that those are paramount to running a successful business. But the fact that like we come at problems from a very different perspective and can bounce bounce ideas off each other is what I really value about having you as a business partner. Yeah, and going back to that, you know, his background in aluminum mine and stainless, we do have different ideas and, and approaches to things. You know, mine's slow and low, and his is you know rip it and get it. So that's kind of <laughs> how it is. And then you know, if we have a different material come in or you know titanium something different than our usual stuff we kind of we can talk through and get an idea um we had a titanium order that came in probably about a month ago and we started working on it immediately broke a drill and i was like uh oh we only had one drill <laughs> it was a carbide <laughs> drill as a matter of fact and it broke yeah. um all we had were you know high speed tools after that but you know with my some of the 304 316 stuff i ran i was like all right just set it at this and we'll see how it goes and they made it through the entire run on one drill and so that was kind of kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was I was sweating bullets. I was like, man, I, I need to get this out today and now I'm gonna break a drill in it. And like yep. yeah, it was And we got it. Yeah, we did. We, everything worked out. It was great. But I think we scrapped one part, so yeah. Not bad. Well actually I don't know, because he never gave me back one with a broken drill oh. in it either. So All right, well, maybe nothing. He maybe he I, he might have gotten it out. I don't know. But uh all right, Sam Wagoneer asked how do you put up with a guy who poses naked in your machines? Honestly, I try not to run that machine anymore. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of been, I don't know. I, I was wearing boxers. I covered all the vices I can't, with I can't see paper that. towels. I don't know that. I don't know that. I do. I mean, I was there. You're dirtier than the machine is. That's for sure. That's, I can't fight that. No, you cannot. That's fair. That, if you ever saw us working on a car or a <laughs> dirty project, I would be covered head to toe in whatever oil is in that machine and Brad would look like he walked in the shop fresh 10 seconds ago. So actually going back to Laguna Seca, <laughs> when, when you work the corners there, you have to wear white shirt, white pants, stark white. And we work three days. We camp out at the racetrack. 
So, I mean, they have showers there, but, you know, you're not doing laundry or anything. After three days, you know, I, I got some, there's some stains maybe. Dylan looks like he rolled around in the dirt. I don't even know how he gets so dirty. Like, it doesn't even make sense. He, he's not wrong. He could be there for 10 <laughs> minutes and then his pants are orange. I don't even know from what. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not wrong. That's that's why I bought a overall after you got one. Yeah. I don't even yeah. know why you got one. You don't yeah, need Honestly, it. yeah. I, I really don't need it, so that's fine. Uh, let's see. Obsidian Tools asked, why didn't you get in your veto when Dylan sold the perfectly fine kitty? But that, I mean, I think we already covered that. I was, I was ready. You know, it was, it was time. And if someone can get better use out of it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see it go. Yeah. Yeah. For our workflow, having a pallet changer to do prototypes is just kind of rough. And it was a good machine. It, it held tolerance. It's fine. It had a 15K spindle. So it could do plenty of stuff. It was just the biggest bottleneck was the, the controller, which actually... For a 2001 machine, that controller is amazing. I, I don't know if there's a better controller out there for that time period. That Yasnak, it could it could read so far ahead, had no issues ever. There was never a stutter in any program, high-speed machining or not. And we never even used the high-speed mode. Yeah, there was a whole high-speed card, like an auxiliary card for high-speed, and we never turned it on. But the biggest bottleneck, like I said, was just the the program loading. Yeah. And it was, we, we literally had, you know, 30, 40-minute program load times. And then you find an error or something, you have to repost, and then ugh, there yeah. goes your night just posting. Oh, it was the worst. It really was. And now, you know, Ethernet, it's like five seconds. Well, the the Speedio, the S700 we have, you literally do nothing. You drag and drop, and it's it's already on the machine before you can walk over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, it, you would never think that program loading would take that much time out of your work week. But, yeah, yeah when it, you know, we were, the max program load in the kitty was... 500k it had plenty of space yeah but well i guess that's not plenty of space but plenty it had a fair amount of space for its age it has more than than our s2a brother does at the moment right but loading it in yeah it was you know two or 300k would take about 15 minutes yeah that was that was kind of rough yeah uh firmworks asked how does it feel to be accused of not even existing i mean honestly it's fine i it's (laughs) it's honestly it's been a joke for i mean how long has people been asking about me and you know Where's Brad? Why is he on the podcast? So it's kind of something, a joke that we've played into. Yeah. I have a feeling that people are just going to stop listening to the podcast now. Like we sold the kitty. You've come on. They know you're real. Like, you know, what's the point? Where's the mystery? Yeah. Um, He says on a more serious note, who starts the most projects and doesn't finish them? You or Dylan? (laughs) Ooh, that's, that's a good question. We might be tied, honestly. I think so. I do. I will say, I get farther into my projects than Dylan does. I think we start just about as many. I will go into like the purchasing mode and start, you know, buying things and doing that with, you know, big ambitions like we all do. Um, I don't know. Dylan generally doesn't quite get that far. He has more of a, a thought process on stuff. Yeah. Which okay. I mean, I do a lot of research on things. So it's not saying that I don't think through. It's just I get a little bit farther on my projects before I, I fizzle out. Yeah, I go ooh shiny, and then I'm on the next line <laughs> before it's before it's the buying stage. I gotta have something in my hand. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, TMC makes. What's the hardest part of working with Dylan? I don't know, man. That's 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 a tough one. Um, probably his work ethic. You know, half the time <laughs> I want to go. Let's go get lunch. Let's go do something. But no, we got to finish these parts. We got to get this out today, and that might be the hardest part, honestly. Which it's not really a bad thing, which is night and day from when we started the business. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. You know, I think, I think I'm a little bit more burned out currently. So I'm like, let's take some time off. Let's go grab lunch. Uh, these parts can wait, but you know, it's, it's, there's no, there's no real bad parts about working with Dylan. Yeah. And I, I'd agree working with you. Like it's, it, it's a, it's a good partnership. I think we both lack where the other is strong. Yeah, and absolutely. It, it, it works out. Uh, which one of you is more relieved that the kitty is gone? I think Dylan. I, I think, I mean, you wanted it gone more than I did. I was like, you know, it's, it's taking space, but it's not, not a huge deal. I mean, actually it was kind of huge, but you, you actively wanted it gone. Yeah. But now that it's gone, that, that room though. Oh yeah, we did. We did some <laughs> rearranging and man, I am, I'm in love with the shop again. And then with the addition of the AC, it's just, it's a completely different place. Yeah. Well, and we added, what four lights? Four lights yesterday, yesterday yep. and put everything on automatic switches. 
And I mean, it's like daylight bright in there. Does, which that, is, does that count towards automation? I, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We well, got automatic lights. Yeah. Like <laughs> so it, it's it's feeling more like a professional shop. Absolutely. Uh, Zeke Johnson asked, "Does Dylan feed you enough? Does he let you out? Blink three times if you need help." Uh, so, like I said, I, I'm I'm the one feeding <laughs> Dylan generally. <laughs> um, so. Um, no, yeah, no, it's it's fine. It's all good. Uh, Dylan definitely is at the shop more than I am, um, but yeah, it's it's been fine. Yeah. Uh, and then his other question: How's the shaper shaping out? Uh, <laughs> all right, digging deep there. Uh, no, the shaper's doing fine. It's it's in the corner. It's it is art, is what it is. You know, you got You can't have all business in a machine shop. You have to have some art. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have our our shelf of of fame, you know, all the cool parts that we've made on the shelf. And then you have the shaper, you know, it's nice shapely to look at, you know? Well, and, and to provide context, I, we bought the shaper as a birthday gift for Brad because he had always wanted right. one. It was never like, let's buy a shaper and fix it up immediately and start making parts on it. It's also a tabletop shaper. It's nothing big. It, it doesn't take up a lot of space. And I did plug it in once and sparks started flying out of it. So um, <laughs> that's on the project to-do list. Yeah. We'll either fix it up or we'll sell it to our old neighbor, Dan. One or the other. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> apparently there's a market for him. I don't know. Yeah. So our old neighbor, he was fixing up like saws, table saws and, and rotary tools from the what, 50s? Yeah, a lot of Atlas stuff and things like that. Yeah, and so he saw our shaper and was immediately watering at the mouth and, you know, very much hinting strong that he would love the shaper if we ever got rid of it, so. Actually, kind of does have a little Art Deco, like the cover of it. Oh, yeah. It kind of does. It actually is pretty good art. Yeah, I think it would it would be a really cool piece to have in the shop, like you said, as kind of like an art, functional art. Piece. A restored piece, yeah. Yeah, so one day we'll get there. One day. Maybe I mean, we're full-time. Yeah, I was going to say, now that one of us is full or will be full-time, you know, if I'm really bored and I don't have the MR2 engine or something to work on, I can start pulling that right. thing apart. Right. Um, so I skipped a few questions purposefully. Both Bennett Fort Manufacturing asked, what's the next big purchase for the business? Uh -huh. And Obsidian Tools asked, what next machine is in the shop? And so, I saved it for shop news and new things because... So it's already been done. Yeah. It's yeah, already done. It has. The payment for the kitty came in one week and it was gone the next week. <laughs> so we, I know a lot of people asked on Instagram, they saw the kitty leave and they're like, oh, well, now you got space to fill it with something else. And I think it was right around the time we sold it that we were like, well, maybe we should look at another machine. And we had a list. Yeah. We've, we've always had a list of, you know, this would be a good machine. This would be nice to have something like that. Um, and the machine that we bought was never on the list. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oddly enough. But so reaching real far back though, the machine we bought, you brought up to me, I think, or maybe I showed it to you. And you, you showed like, me. That's what it was. Cause Easton showed it to me. Yeah. Um, so we've been dancing around it. What we bought and we'll be coming in in the next couple of weeks is a brother F 600, which is their, it's a traveling head in X and Z. They're high rigidity, high torque. Machine. Yeah. Yeah, so it is. It's about fifty percent heavier than a, a standard Speedio S seven hundred, uh, high torque, ten k spindle, dual contact, uh, really all built around being the most rigid BT thirty machine you can you can make. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we're we're getting super excited about it. We've started. Some of you will have seen on Instagram. We lucked into some secondhand orange twenty inch vices. Uh, we started buying all the lights and stuff and. It should be here in the next one to two weeks. Yeah, we're prepped. We're ready. Yeah. And it should open up a ton of work for us. It should really relieve us. I mean, we're, we have the two spindles. We, we've only been using the two um, brothers mostly for the past year and a half, uh, maybe even longer than that. So now we're going to have three spindles. It's kind of the question of do we keep the TC? Do we, do we turn it into a, you know, a workhorse for material we don't want to run in the, in the speedios? Um, so... <laughs> Do we sell it and get some more space back and, you know, maybe another car project or two? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys are thinking about stepping into a less expensive brother, keep your eye out. We, we may be posting the TC for sale, but we'll let you know. But, uh, yeah, it's we we realized in talking more and, and looking at other machines that our biggest bottleneck was having a machine that could 
both have the storage for larger part programs, have the look ahead for 3D surfacing, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Uh, and, and another Speedio really fit the bill. It's something that we can get up and running, you know, within a day of it being commissioned and making parts. So yeah, and seven extra pots doesn't hurt either. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then I guess we should talk about the other machine we had thought we wanted and why we kind of right. So yeah, we had both always looked at the Akuma Genos M560V as a possible candidate because we love the bridge style machine. We love the rigidity. It was well priced. Yeah, all of that. Uh, but we recently went and saw one, and I don't know. I, it was funny because neither of us really talked to each other while we were watch, looking at it. Like no. a customer of ours has one. We got to go kind of look at it and play around with it, and uh, neither of us talked to each other. We didn't influence each other, and we both kind of walked out of there like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's the machine for us. We were a bit underwhelmed. Yeah. It I, was, I don't know. I didn't have any expectations going in, but it still didn't meet my expectations. I guess I didn't know I had yeah. So I don't know. It was, it seemed clunky. Yeah. Well, and what's weird is like, it's none of the machining characteristics that I would normally associate with a machine tool purchase. Like right. it's insanely rigid. It's, you know, super powerful. It's got some cool user things, but like the little things were the things that stood out to both of us as like, man, this thing's gonna be a pain in the ass to run. Right. Like the chip evacuation kind of seems dismal. Yeah. Uh, the control was not clunky. as user-friendly. Yeah, yeah, it was clunky. Like, there was a lot of button presses to do the simplest thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Like, like, little things even like the doors not being linked. Like, you're banging these Honestly, two doors. Yeah. Like So going from the TC to a Speedio, the TC has, you know, independent doors. They're a double door, and they're just banging off each other all the time, every time you open it. Where you turn around, and you're sitting on the S700, and that door is so smooth and so nice. It's a totally different experience, and it, it really changes how you you know you work and how you perceive your machine. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I would never think that little things like that would bother me. Right. But it bothered me so right. much when I saw it. It does. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, it was just like it came down to the options too on the Akuma. Like every little thing yeah. is a cost. Like you want to open up the D windows for every tool. Well, that you got to charge for that. Like you want washdowns inside. Well, that's a charge for that. You want yeah, crazy you know, stuff. Yeah. And then there was a lot of parts on that machine that seemed like afterthoughts. So things that didn't quite fit right or, or just didn't seem to be like bolted on that didn't have the same flow of the machine. So stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing to take away from the rigidity or accuracy because it is no, yeah, both it's, it's insanely rigid. A and genuinely accurate. good machine. Yeah. But for just, us, it, for us, it was just not. But also, I sent you that video for the BVM. Doosan just came out with a direct mm -hmm. competitor. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of hoping that that for the next couple of years shows that it's as reliable as some other Doosans. And yeah. maybe that'll be a future bridge mill for us. But because I, I love the idea of a dual column machine, like as far as rigidity goes. Right. But it just, I don't know, like both of us walked out of there and like, man, I just, I, like, I don't want to go into the shop every day and have to run that machine. Yeah. It seems like it would be a pain. It, yeah. I mean, there's going to be a big learning curve where the brother's essentially going to be just plug and play. Where do you have all the posts for it? Everything's set. We understand the controller. So those be, you know, just a step up in rigidity and, and torque. Well, maybe not torque, not so much, but rigidity. So, and then, you know, once we, once we run that for, you know, a year or so, we'll get an idea of if that's where we want to continue on. Yeah. Well, and I think we've, I've talked enough on the podcast. Like I would love a five axis. I know I had said on the podcast, like, oh, I want to get an, uh, an M series or something like yep. that. But for the costs that we got this machine, it makes the most sense. Like we will make money immediately with it. Absolutely. And not have to create a new workflow, not have to buy a whole bunch of new work holding. Well, we already have the vices now. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't pass that up. I mean, yeah. when you get stuff for 60% off list, like, right. that's, that's tough. <laughs> the vices, not the machine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of what else we can talk about because we're, we're rounding out the episode. What else is, so we've got AC. We have AC. It's amazing. Uh -huh. You've continued to say that you think it's one of the best things. Honestly, you know, the best, one of the best things we've ever done in the shop is put that mini split in. And it's not even, you know, a massive unit. It's a 210 unit, but for a thousand square feet, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people think that's plenty of space, but in Arizona, you know, where it hits 115, 117 degrees, it's, you know, not, not the biggest um, but man, it is a total game changer. Just dropping humidity down. We've had an insane amount of rain this summer and just the humidity drop just from that AC unit is, is worth it alone, regardless of the cooling. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And then the other thing we got done today, which is nice, and I, I'm sure longtime listeners or people who have followed us on Instagram, uh, we finally got our mist collector mm-hmm. wired up on the S700, which has been we I bought it for the kitty, yeah, a long true. time ago, uh, before we even had the S700. So we finally got that hooked up because I, I had tried to install it, what eight months ago? Yeah, a, a while ago. ago. I mean, you, you did try. Yeah, I, I got everything hooked up. I got the standoffs put in and everything and then i tried to put the mist collector on there and the roof of the s700 where i where the hole is more or less for the mist collector is just not rigid enough to to support an entire unit kind of dangling on it uh and to be fair it's it's not the smallest mist collector either no it's their mid-range one the 700 cfm yeah yeah we like i know yamazan recommends the mizano or Mazano or something like that, uh, MZ15. And that one probably fits the machine a little better and it kind of pushes all the weight to the backside of the the enclosure. Mm-hmm. But for the cost, like I, you know, we, right. we got what we needed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'll post some pictures tomorrow, but it, it all worked out. Like it, it seems like it's working. Yeah, I think it's gonna be fine. We haven't really ran the machine yet, but um, with all the through spindle tooling that we have now, all that kind of stuff, it's it makes leaving the shop, you know, it's going to be a lot nicer. You don't have that coolant in your nose for the rest of the day going on. <laughs> so hopefully that'll uh, that'll alleviate some some issues with the air quality in the shop. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess circling back to another question that we've already kind of covered, but what do you think is next for Proteum? Like, what do you? I don't know. So we've got another machine coming. Yeah, we need to flesh out that new machine, you know, see how things work and then decide if we want to keep the the TC or not. And then I I think the biggest thing is just seeing how full time works, seeing how you uh, how you react and how the company reacts and if it's a viable option for both of us, because that's definitely the direction that both of us want to go for sure is do um, full time for both of us and then, you know, just build up from there. Um, Machine wise, we don't really have much on the you know the, the dream list right now you know, like i said maybe a, maybe a fifth axis i honestly think a lathe might be kind of neat but i don't know if there's a ton of work i mean i know there's a ton of work to support it but i don't know if we want that work or not right um so things like that yeah i, I agree I, I think that the biggest thing is yeah me going i'm i think i'm nine weeks out from going full-time mm-hmm. and then it's all about just getting you full-time getting yep. the business supporting me adequately and then moving you into it and figuring out payroll and yeah workers comp and all that yeah stuff. all the all the paperwork yeah get through the red tape stuff that's gonna be so much fun i guess the um the most next i guess the next thing would might be the the work vehicle the shop vehicle oh yeah which i've kind of talked about i think but um why don't you let them know what you had to go through to get to so get i guess when was this what four weeks ago a month ago um i found maybe longer than that I found a pair of first-generation Isuzu Troopers up in Prescott, which is about three, three and a half hours away from Tucson, where we live. Um, and they were selling both of them, uh, neither running, of course, which is fine, <laughs> um, for, what was it? $2,500? Oh, that's right. $2,300. Clean title. Um, so, you know, I, I got in contact with the guy, and I said, you know, I, I can come check them out, you know, on Friday or Saturday. I don't remember what it was. So I went and picked up my car trailer and me and my friend um, drove up to Prescott and checked them out. And they were far cleaner than I could have expected. I like I knew they were, you know, fairly good looking from the pictures. But seeing them in person, it was like this is a 1990 to 1991 model. And there is zero rust. There's barely any dents or dings. They are incredibly clean. And being Arizona vehicles, you know, there's, there's a little bit of paint fade, but um for the most part they are fantastic so i ended up buying them we brought them back down um so we have some plans for them we're going to get um one of them running shortly we actually already bought the parts for it so we're just going to rip the head off replace the head gasket kind of stuff like that get that running and we can have a a shop vehicle for picking up materials and whatnot and then future plans is we would like to do a engine swap Oh yeah. So yeah, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Just having a shop vehicle in general, I think is going to be a, a real game changer for us. Right. I mean, I do. So I live um, on the complete opposite side of town as our material supplier yeah. in town. So <laughs> every time I have to drive down there, it's, 
you know, it's 45 minutes um, and then 20 minutes back to the shop, which is about halfway in between there. So there's a lot of mileage that we do put on our own vehicles. For sure. Well, and like you have to borrow a truck usually when we want to get mm. something big. Like we bought a ladder right. yesterday and I was like, oh, I, you know, I've got a truck. Let's go get something that we need. Right. Yeah. Luckily, my parents have two trucks, so I can always borrow one most times when I need to. Yeah, I think it'll be, it's really going to be just so epic having mm-hmm. that shop. Big game to work on. For sure. Probably not quite as big as the AC, in my opinion, but. I don't think anything can compete. Like, I, I don't think that people who live outside of Arizona, maybe California, can understand the life, the yeah. quality of life improvement right. that AC provides. Right. Um, for sure. It's actually even um, uh, lit a fire under me. actually went and bought another mini split that I'm going to put in my own bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so I can have a separate AC control just for my bedroom now. Well, and, and it wasn't that bad of an install either. No, honestly, it wasn't. It was, we got a smoking deal. Um, most of these units are actually brought up from Mexico because we're, what are we, like 80 miles from the border? Something like that. Something, we're very close. So there's a lot of um, products that are actually brought up from Mexico, meant for the Mexican market. And so they used to sell them for cheap. So I think we bought our entire two-ton unit was 850 which is, if you know anything about mini splits, it's a smoking deal. Um, the only downside is that it reads in Celsius. So... <laughs> I guess we're learning Celsius now. Yeah, it, it, there's there's an upside. There's I a guess silver that, lining. Yeah, there's silver lining to the yeah. downside. So. I, I know what comfortable is now. I don't just see the the numbers. And I'm like, I don't. Yeah, you know, 25, 26 degrees. I'm I'm very happy. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what the shop has been saying. I even running the machines. Yeah, I, I think when I ran the spindle for a really long time on Monday, it got up to like 82 degrees, which was really stunning. Yeah, like and the the machines I don't think are the biggest heat producers. It's definitely our uh, air compressor yeah for sure and if we could find a way to duck that outside i think that'd be a massive improvement overall but the ac's handling no problem so yeah it's not that bad at all you know summer's kind of coming to an end here so we'll have to see how the heat works yeah because that shop does get cold i mean <laughs> i i know it doesn't get cold for some of you guys but you know when you come in there and it's 40 degrees that's that's pretty chilly yeah yeah it's at least not comfortable without some preparations ahead of time yeah yeah for sure well, I round out every episode by asking my guests. I will definitely ask you, what have you been researching this week? Because you always, like we've covered, we both have projects galore. So um, what's your current set of projects? My, well, I don't know. I have a few. So my main area of interest lately has been homebrewing beer, actually. So I've been doing some beer brewing. We're actually drinking some right now. It's a Belgian triple that I made um, about a month and a half ago. Um, so I've been doing a lot of research on that. Um and doing some gluten-free beer brewing as well. So I've been dabbling into that, looking at enzymes and all sorts of grains and things like that. Um, other than that, um, working on the, the old Datsun. So doing some research on that. I need to get the shell media blasted and start working on rust repairs. Um, yeah, because that's a another big thing that happened while we were friends and starting to be business partners is yeah. that you were daily driving your 260 for a long time. Yeah, I was. Um, did a lot of work to it, um, converted it to fuel injection, and then ended up rebuilding and swapping in an L2080T, a 2.8 liter turbo engine. And it did fine, did no problem. I did swapped in a, a 240SX five speed into it. You know, actually, I, I bored that out on the bridge port at work, <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough, to make it to make it fit. Um, so it's been sitting for you know a few years now, and I, I definitely need to get back into that. Yeah, and then what are your plans for it? So my current plan is a little different than usual. You know, you see a lot of guys doing the RBs or the TJZs or LS. LSs. Yeah, that's very common. Um, I'm going to actually be putting in a Mercedes engine, an M104. Actually, I already pulled it. Dylan helped me pull it out of the junkyard. <laughs> it's a 3.2 liter straight six from a 1997 E320. And they are just absurdly strong from what I can tell. So that'll be getting a, a turbocharged treatment. And then... Um, Actually, I already bought a six-speed transmission, a BMW. Uh, that's what it's a 6GS53BZ, I think. So that'll be going on and then getting that going. Yeah, be, I get uh, to watch you torque your frame rails with absolutely. stupid amounts of torque. Absolutely. Well, I got new ones, so I got to weld those in. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a really cool build. I, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. it. And, uh, and then also you're finishing up your E30. I am, yeah. So, I mean, I've been daily driving that for three years. Um, I did do an engine swap on that. So I had originally had the M20, 
which is, I'm not a fan of that engine. Um, and I ended up buying a 525i with an M50, the non-Venos, if anyone's interested. And I ended up swapping that engine into it. Um, and I've been driving that for about two years. Um, and it's lacking in fuel management. It, it is a 1992 engine, so it's not the most modern. So I did pick up a uh, M52 uh, 328i engine. So I did a full rebuild on that. Um, and I have a new transmission for that. A, what is that? The 37BZ from a M, no, a Z4. Yeah, Z4 or Z3. One of those. Um, so that's going to be going in, all sorts of fun stuff, and possibly a supercharger. So a lot of stuff to do. Keeps me busy. Yeah. but and I mean, that's what we bonded over initially was cars and bikes. So it, it's definitely, I know a lot of people reached out when we posted the, or when I posted the video of the kitty leaving or the pictures and they were like, what are all those car parts doing in your shop? And it's like, <laughs> well, it's a slash, you know, shop slash storage for right, right. projects. You know, half are mine, half are his. So yeah. we've got what, four engines and a bunch of motorcycle do, tires. And, and that's not even all of them. So. Yeah. I've got all of my stuff for my swap for the MR2 in there. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we, we make use of the walls for storage shelves for project stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then this week I've been researching almost nonstop for the last three or four days lights for the F 600 that's coming because what we thought was an astronomical value that Yamazan charges for lights turns out to be fairly close to what they actually yeah, cost. Pretty modest. Uh, and I was lucky that uh, Dan's discount tools had one of the lights on sale and I, I got, you know, I made an offer on eBay and, got a really good deal on it and figured all the other stuff out. So we'll go ahead and install that when the machine drops. But it's actually the second one that we bought. <laughs> yeah. First one being a little small, but uh, it's all right. That, that's what I get for not reading the eBay article well enough. You know, it was a, all, all the ones that Yamazan usually installs are about 21 inches long. And this one came and was about 14 inches long and four or 500 lumens less something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it, it probably would have been fine, but you know, we want, our nice machine to have nice lights. And yeah. The F600 is a, a fairly large, yeah. Large area. So yeah. Well, not more like the, the M series. I think it's a very similar cavern. Yeah. Yeah. The M, the M200 and M300, they are very deep machines. So there's a lot of shadows and things going on in there. If you don't have some very good lighting. Yeah. So that, that'll be a, a good, I finally found everything about the power supply, all that stuff. And so we'll go ahead and the second the machine drops, wire it in and then have them hook it all up when they install the machine. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, otherwise we got to buy some tool holders and look into all that and then just kind of start making parts on that thing. Yeah. It should be quick. I think it'll be, um, up and running real quick actually. Well, that kind of rounds out the episode, but I do have Patreon thank yous from John working and Ian real. Thanks guys for joining the Patreon. Really appreciate it. Keeps it, you know, funded and lets me send off microphones to whoever needs it, schedule all this stuff. And I, I really appreciate it. And thanks, Brad, for joining me. I yeah. really appreciate it. I think everybody's going to be really happy to finally hear from you. Yeah. Make sure that you're <laughs> I am real. real. Yeah. I, I'm not, you know, schizophrenic or something. Yeah. Um, if so. you guys, if you have any more questions for me, I'd be happy to come back on and answer some of those questions. So just uh, let you of us know. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, guys. We will see you next week.